I'm Natalia Loback, and this is Change Course. Doing change well. One of the many things that I got up to this summer was catching up on a whole bunch of podcast, newsletter, articles, all sorts of stuff that I hadn't been able to listen to over the wintertime. So I finally caught up on one of my favorite podcasts, Akimbo by Seth Godin. Seth is a really interesting person. If you have not heard of him, I would suggest checking him out. He has a ton of books and a lot of really interesting work out there. And he's really been an important inspiration for how I started my business and how I work today and how I view the work that I do. So his podcast is a touchstone that I try to connect with on a regular basis. Well, you know, things kind of got out of hand last year. And so it finally caught up on a bunch of the episodes. And there was one episode that I will link in the show notes called Help Wanted. And there was a really great question that came from a listener. So one of the things that Seth does on his podcast is that he has a Q&A session at the end of every episode, which is really interesting. And this question was really interesting. And Seth's answer to the question was even more interesting. So I'll share it with you. I won't be able to link or sample the podcast or the question, but go check it out. The link is in um, the show notes for the actual episode that I refer to. And I've put the times there for when the question shows up and um, how Seth answers it. In essence, what the question was, was, you know what? Like I've been doing change a few times and what about the next change? How do we approach change better? How do we get good at change? And it got me thinking about my own work and how I focus. And honestly, I find that I focus a lot on helping people work through organizations or work through changes that are maybe the first or the big one, or maybe something they haven't done before. And often we hear a lot about organizations that struggle with change. We hear about resistance. We hear about problems. And, you know, that's really what I'm here to help with is helping people sort through their problems. But there's an interesting question there. And that is, what about organizations that do change well? So what is it that, you know, I'm advising or I'm telling people to do or I'm trying to help with? And why? So, you know, how does that set you up to become a more agile organization and an organization that's better at change? So interesting. So I'd love if you would listen to the podcast itself because Seth had a great example and some really good ideas. And it's one of the reasons why I link culture into connected change and why this link is so important. Because if change is something that you do every once in a while when it's required, 
it's always going to be something that's in conflict with the core culture and the core tenet of your organization. If change is something that you do all the time, larger, more challenging or periodic big changes become a lot easier. So this is where Seth talks about how at one of the organizations that he was leading, he would actually make people move their desk every 90 days. And I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, for an old world example, sure, moving your desk every 90 days is a really interesting one because it changes your context. It changes your, you know, your thinking. I mean, there's so much about us humans that, um, you know, we are, we are responsive to our environment. And if you change the environment, it primes you for opening up different neural pathways. Uh, won't get into the details of the neuroscience on this one. I'm not an expert, but you know, there is research out there that supports it. So constantly challenging people in your organization to build new neural pathways. Fantastic, right? So how do we do this? So first of all, I look at the culture of the organization. So are you built for change? What are some of the things that you can do to make change easier and better? If you are an organization that is run on, uh, you know, hierarchy, strong standards, uh, standard operating procedures, very tight controls, it can become very difficult to do change on sort of a regular basis. But what are the conduits into those areas in your organization where change can enter or change can thrive? What are those inroads into those very restricted, very, um, you know, strong boundaries around how the organization operates? There are always opportunities and inroads for changes. So one of the things that... I do in partnership with others is work with continuous improvement. So um, I'm sure if you've watched any of the Change the Conversation videos, uh, you've probably come across Melanie McLagan. She is the founder and principal of Impetus 3. She is focused on continuous improvement and looking at ways to increase problem solving and critical thinking, importantly, critical thinking in organizational structures and in leadership teams. So when I partner up with Melanie, this is often about how do we make change more part, more a part of our organization? Continuous improvement is an amazing inroad into that. Why? Because you're always looking for ways to improve. You're always looking at little changes and incremental changes that can be made to help your organization function more smoothly. And this is how organizations with high levels of structure and control become excellent. So you often hear about continuous improvement in the manufacturing sector, in you know, certain areas of business, I mean, uh, pharmaceutical science, that's an area that I've worked in, pharmaceutical manufacturing, and, you know, everybody comes from that school of continuous improvement. Change is sometimes easier in those environments because there's already a language for it. 
So when I walk into, for example, government organizations, government organizations are very focused on external optics and maintenance of a certain standard. So there isn't that language of continuous improvement. These organizations I find are often the most difficult to change. Um, Someone has also asked me a question about unionized organizations uh, based on, you know, another podcast and a post that I did. Unionized organizations are another one where you may have some challenges around introducing that language and that place for change just because there's a lot of focus on standard, on um, equity, equality, sameness, and there isn't a lot of opportunity for outliers or for change or for looking at things differently. So what I love about continuous improvement is it creates that language for constant evaluation, constant change, and this idea that you can test and try and evaluate and then decide. Another thing that was brought up in Seth's episode was status quo. So the idea that status quo is not an option. And this is really interesting. So how can you build that into the conversation of your organization? That's where we talk a little bit about systems, and I've talked about them in previous episodes. So when you run into the resistance in your organization of, that's just not how things are done around here, or that won't work because it just won't work here. And people can't really describe why, but they just know implicitly that what you are describing or what you are proposing will not work. That's where we're talking about systemic resistance. So where we're going to link that to status quo is... If your organization is very focused on the same, doing things the way it's always worked, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's where you're going to run into this idea that status quo is an option, right? So how do you change that? Well, looking at the systems in your organization, talking about things with a future outlook, saying this is working for now. But what are the things that we are going to have to change in the future to make us adaptable to X, Y, or Z? So if you change your outlook as a leader from a past or present outlook to a future outlook and work on that mindset shift within that leadership team, then you start to have a language for change. Then you start to find opportunities in your systems Then you start to change the culture around, well, this is the way it's always been to, well, this is working right now, but if something changes, we're going to have to change. It starts to open that avenue and open that organizational neural pathway into something that could be different. The other piece is the core values and the beliefs of the people in the organization, of the organization itself, and of your culture. And, you know, I'm going to bring back here my favorite, Heraclitus of Ephesus. 
the only constant is change. So if your organization is one that believes in in the stoic, in the stalwart, in things that are ever present, um, solid as a rock. I mean, <laughs> laughing a little bit because I think that was like a jingle for, you know, a car or something a while back. But, li- you know, looking at your organization and thinking critically about what do we believe about change? Is change all around us? Is it ever present? Is change just a fact of life and part of our world? Or is change something that we're constantly fighting against? What's your position? How do you feel about that? So looking at how those core values and beliefs can start to change is another way that you can look at adjusting the culture of your organization to start to do change well. Certainly with organizations that do change well, these are some of the things that I've noticed. Systems are flexible. Systems are adaptable. There is a forward thinking among the people in the organization. You're not thinking, you know, we're the best and no one's going to catch us. It's what's next and how do we prepare for it? Those core values and beliefs, that belief that change is just a part of life. Change is everywhere. Change is ever present. And looking at continuous improvement and how, you know, some of these organizations can be a part of that. So the last thing I'm going to talk about is an example from, you know, that I have experienced. And so I talk a lot about sailing as a metaphor. I am actually a sailor. So for me, it's one of the ways that I can use metaphors or express some of these concepts and make it visual, accessible, and understandable to the people that I'm working with. So one of the things that's a misconception about sailing is that you, you know, you're going to decide like, you know, I'm going to leave from, uh, you know, where I'm moored and I'm going to go to Toronto Island for the day because Toronto Island is beautiful and it's a lovely destination. There's a gorgeous beach there. It's it's a wonderful place to to visit for a day trip and you can get there very quickly and very easily. One of the misconceptions is that, you know, I go out into the lake, I set my course, put my sails up and off I go, but nothing could be further from the truth. So I've chosen my bearing. I've set my course. I know, you know, I know where I want to go, but the wind, the wind is its own entity. It's its own thing. And I've included a link in the show notes to WindFinder, which is uh, the app that I use to check for wind uh, speed and direction. And you'll notice in the link that I posted that it'll give you a visual of Lake Ontario. And what's the most amazing thing about it, it's extremely, um, extremely lovely to watch all of these little wind vectors making their way from the land across the lake. And what you'll notice is, is that the wind is not going in a straight line. Wind does not go in a straight line. Wind has its own ideas about where it's going and it changes all the time, depending on the temperature of the land, the water, the updrafts, uh, all sorts of different things, you know, sort of broader weather patterns, etc. Very hard to predict, but, you know, with all sorts of AI and, you know, great technology out there now, it's much better. But for an individual sailor, you can feel 
those changes as you're going to your destination. So even for something as short a course as from where I'm moored to Toronto Island, you'll see how the wind is subtly changing direction. And so how do you adjust to this? Well, if I didn't adjust to those microscopic changes in my environment, I would probably not reach Toronto Island as quickly as I could. I might get blown off course. Uh, You know, there's a bunch of different things that can happen. So what do I need to do? Well, I don't adjust my course because I know exactly where I'm going, but I am going to work with sail trim. And that's really about how you make small changes to the positions and the tension on your sails in order to adjust to the circumstances and the characteristics of the wind. And for me, that's a really interesting and poignant metaphor for what continuous improvement looks like. You've got your course set, you know where you're going, you're going to stay um, you know, with that bearing and you're going to follow it through. But as you're going through that journey and as you're going through that process, you're going through those periods of adjustment, of evaluation, of little tweaks, and maybe sometimes slightly larger changes to adjust to the changes that are happening all around you such that you can make that trip as efficient and as smooth as possible. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, I invite you to like, rate, share, and subscribe because it helps others find us. Our music is Levity by Emily Clausen. Change Course can be found wherever you get your podcasts. And we have an accessible version with fully edited captions on YouTube. You can find the link to this version on www.charthouse.ca in the Change Course podcast show notes. While you're visiting us, sign up for the Change Navigator newsletter. We're launching shortly and you'll get a monthly dispatch of all things change and hear about the upcoming launch of ConnectedChange.com. Thank you for listening and remember, it's never too late to change course.